0: As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guest today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello and welcome to the Transform Your Sales podcast. Today, I am so, so excited to be speaking with Janice B. Gordon. How are you, Janice?
1: Oh, it's great to be here.
0: Thank you so much. She is all the way in the UK, which is why I love this world where we can just both pop on here and have this great conversation.
1: That certainly is really very convenient, isn't it? It is.
0: It is. (laughs) So let me tell you a little bit about Janice. Janice B. Gordon is the customer growth expert. She uses her 20 plus years of business, sales, customer experience, and leadership to unleash hidden potential and accelerate revenue growth by investing in customer alignment and buyer engagement. She's the founder of Scale Your Sales podcast and Framework. She's listed as a top 50 global thought leader and influencer on customer experience. She's a consultant, international speaker, educator, and facilitator, and author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World, and co-author of Heels to Deals, How Women Are Dominating in Business to Business Sales. Wow, So 20 plus years and you are the customer growth expert. So how did you get started and how did you get to where you are today?
1: I started selling when I was 15. I had um, designs that I made and uh, people would say, oh, can you make me one? And that's how it all started. I never thought I would be in sales, but I always thought I'd be an entrepreneur and in business. And that's the route that I, I took. And no one ever told me that actually, if you're in business, you're in sales. In schools, it's never laid out that way, really. And how important sales is to business, that connection was never made. So I did my degree in fashion, textiles and business and went down the business side of fashion and textiles, selling textile designs. And my father was in America So I got on a plane, I took my samples over and I called people and sold a lot of the samples. I mean, it was a real asset having an English accent on the phone calling a design director. So I sold uh, for many years. I set up a business after I finished my first degree and would go out to America selling to contract and fashion houses, uh, contract furnishings that was. And then linked up with an American company and sold their samples designs in England, so going to Sanderson, Liberties and the like. And I remember sometimes I'd be on the phone to people selling the American samples in, in the UK And then when I turned up, their face would drop because they wasn't expecting a black woman. But I capitalise on on that. I did a lot of um, field sales. I then went to Botswana and worked out there for a number of years. When I returned, I started working in financial service sales. And it's actually only at that point that I got my sales training my formal sales training and at that time we could cold call in the UK so it'd be a Tuesday I'd had to be in by eight o'clock and it'd be stand up cold calling and Tuesday evening between seven and eight stand up cold calling I hate it <laughs> I really loved the relationship building and, and helping my clients and companies to achieve their goals. But the cold calling bit, I really didn't like at all. There was no relationship and it was just seemed so kind of forced, really. So then I did my MBA, Cranfield MBA. And I did that because I was still interested in business and it was great experience. And I was running my own, own company and growing it and meeting wonderful people. But I felt that I wanted more than that and the MBA was to enable me to kind of bridge back across to entrepreneurship and bigger business. So I did my Cranfield MBA and that was it's so one of those experiences, I, I had an assistant that was sitting at my desk in the office and I didn't tell the company, the sales company, I was doing an MBA because I knew that my commission, you know, if you've, you're in sales at that time, you don't tell them you're leaving because then it's really difficult to get your last paycheck. So um, I did the... And all they think you're not serious about what you're doing. Even if it's your own business, you're actually sitting in a serviced office and you, you buy in some of their services, compliance and so forth. So I, I left... The sales industry, financial services on the sly, really, to make sure I got my last pay slip. And I moved into operations management with the help of my MBA. And that was a fantastic experience because I learned a lot more about health and safety and recruiting people and training them up. And I worked my way out of the job because I'm very much a a starter. I like to create systems. That's what I loved about um, business, creating systems, making making sure that they work. And sales process is another business system. But now it's an uh, very much more an, an ecosystem which I I don't mind I'm talking about So that's how my kind of early started in sales. Thereafter, I worked for a customer experience consultancy and that changed my view of what sales is about. Previously, it was about pushing. We're salespeople, we have all the information, we're pushing it on our customers, we're ringing them up, we're telling them what they should do. The industry's changed now where it's pulling. Customers make all of the decisions, buyers have all of the information and they're the ones doing the selecting. And so the experience has changed that you need to provide. So customer experience really taught me that Customers are your best creators and innovators, buyers. They know what they want and what they're looking for. They have all of the cards. And so I started to change the way that I sold and it became very much more consultative, but also very much about the experience because I've learned all of this great information about how important experience is. And that's very much true today. There are stats to say that experience trumps price and product features and benefits now. And people are willing to pay more for great experiences. Well, if they're willing to pay more and it trumps all those other traditional things, then it's something we need to be paying attention to. And that's what I do in Scale Your Sales. It's all about reimagining the revenue growth through customer experience and sales. The sales will happen if you have the right product for the right customer and you create the right experience.
0: Wow. So you have such a diverse background because you actually started your career as an independent salesperson, whereas so many people typically they start for companies and like, yeah, I don't like it. And then you went back and worked for a company and got those solid sales skills. And you realized the things that you really enjoyed and the things that you didn't enjoy. So what were some of the lessons that you still use and implement today that you learned way back when, when you first started out in sales?
1: What I loved about sales were the relationships. I love talking and I have very good listening skills. So that's what I absolutely adored about my job. And when in compliance, they tried to change that. So they, you know, you would have a recommendation letter, go to compliance, it would come back, it would be 10 times before it got passed through compliance. By the end, you got this recommendation letter that had nothing to do with the customer you're selling it to Mm. because they were thinking about protecting the company. And if you're in that kind of environment, if that's the primary thing that they're looking for, we don't want any comebacks. It means you have no faith in what you're doing and you're forcing all these people that do have faith being because they have the relationship with the customer, you're forcing them down the line. That's why I decided to come out of financial services sales. It didn't feel good. It didn't feel right. It wasn't about the relationship and doing good for the customer. When I went into customer experience, I thought, oh my gosh, I've found home. It's all about the customer. This is what didn't seem right to me in sales. And absolutely, when I got it in customer experience, I thought, I'm still an entrepreneur. I know that sales is the core to all business and business growth I have all my MBA experience I know this is right and it was just that little the kind of third leg of the stool Mm. that I needed to put it all together to fall in love again with sales Mm.
0: so really not saying ah this I don't like this company I don't like this industry I'm gonna try something different you really were able to tap into your passion and understand that customer experience is the way to go. And you mentioned, you know, hey, you're having to send this to compliance and then it goes to the customer and it's so product centric. So what are some of the challenges that you see today with companies that are so focused on being product centric?
1: Well, and they wonder why they're not selling. <laughs> you know, I do. You have, well, you know, in the kind of tech environment, you have these great, really sharp tech people, but they don't have the language of the customer, which is the first thing that I can talk to them about. Interviewing your customers, recording their language. What is the way they describe their pains, their problems? What is the way they describe what their ideal solution this is the language you need to be using, not the tech language, not the language you created this great service or product with, because no one gets that, absolutely not your customer. So that's the first thing that's changed. But also, the you know we've been through a pandemic, we've all working um, virtually now and starting to go back to face-to-face. And it's really understanding that Our buyers and our customers have always been in the, well, you know, they've been ahead of us in the virtual world in the way that they're using their tools and and their apps. And it's sales that's catching up to that. And I think one thing that's happening in sales is we're going down the techie route, going down the data and we're forgetting about, sales is still about humans. Even if you're B2B, it's still about humans making the decision Mm -hmm. until the robots are making decisions. So don't throw out what we know about what's all great about our human nature and human behaviors don't throw that out yes we need to sharpen our saw and yes data is absolutely important to help with our decision making but at the end of the day people are the ones that are still making those decisions
0: Mm, that's so good Early in my career, when I was still a salesperson, I'm a recovering chemist. I like to tell people that. But I always sold to engineers. And what I learned is I couldn't use language that chemists understood. I couldn't start talking about equations and this and this and that. I need to speak engineer. And so a lot of times I would tell people I speak engineer because that's what my clients speak. And if you're selling to doctors or lawyers or CEOs, or maybe you're selling to customer service people, you have to really understand the words they use, right? When you can use their actual words, their phrases, they're like, this person gets me, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. That's the starting point. That is the bare minimum.
0: And so when you say, okay, first we need to, literally record our customer conversations, ask them these difficult questions, understand like why you buy from me, why you buy from my competitor. Then once you have all of that information, how do you translate that and help people become more problem centric, more buyer centric and less product centric?
1: People are solution centric they're always about what's in it for me Mm. they're never about product centric ever 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 about product centric because they don't really care if it's a drill they want the whole they want the solution. So that's their key focus. So using their language and using how they describe the solution, they never describe the product. They describe how the problem will help them. They use emotional words and they describe the exacting solution that they want. Customers are very good at that. The problem is that in the sales industry, we've been so arrogant to think that what we've got is the best Mm. and everyone's going to need it. And that's not the case. So once you have the language of the customer, you have to go in and interpret, well, what do what I have in terms of this product or service? How is it going to help the customer to move forward? Not necessarily to get a a sale at the end of the day. It's moving step by step. What information do they need right now to move them on to the next step? What we tend to do is we give them the whole pie and it's just information overload because we think we're starting to have a conversation with a seller. They've given us some of the information of what they're looking for. I need to close that sale close it down right now because the customer's shown some interest, right? And so now we're going full steam ahead. We tell our managers that this is a done deal. We're committed ourselves, and now the pressure is on. And again, we're thinking about ourselves. We've completely come out and we've got this great language that the customer's given us and great value proposition, key words and things that's interested them. And as soon as they give us a little bit of information, then we go back into ourselves again. Mm. and we're thinking about it from our point of view and we've lost the sale so always always have the customer with a seat at the table always have their information their language at the forefront not only of your mind if you have to put it on your walls when you're working on a customer deal then that's the only thing that you should be looking at put yourself in their shoes whatever tools you need to do that visualization have your screens as if you're in their space, in their factory you've got to completely absorb yourself with their world Mm. and you have to keep using that, going back and referencing that not only when you start pitching and talking to them and moving them along their journey. But whenever you're creating anything for them, don't put it in the bottom drawer. It always has to be at the forefront. And even six months later, this is something that I teach salespeople, my clients that I work with. If six months later, you're able to reference the conversation that that buyer, that customer said to you, using their language, they always recognize it. Mm. They always, always recognize it. And what does that say to them? This person's on my side. This person listens to me. This person values what we value. Mm. And that helps you to go forward.
0: Wow. That's so powerful. You said it's not product focused. It's more that they're they're solution focused. It's like they hear, they're like, okay, I get that. I can't talk about myself. I need to be focused on them. As soon as you hear one little thing, you jump and you're ready to close, right? But you're not following at the speed of the buyer, right? And so a lot of times we're ready to close, we're ready to move, but the buyer's like, I'm still in my evaluation phase. So how do we bridge the gap between what the salesperson wants to do and what that actual buyer wants to do?
1: But, well, it doesn't really matter what the salesperson wants to do. That's irrelevant. That's the point, (laughs) you know. It is the buyer's world. The buyers are the ones that are making the decisions. They're dictating the pace. And so it's really difficult for salespeople to grasp that concept. And until they do, they'll always be on the back foot. So we need to just relinquish our control over the situation we don't have any control we're always going to be followers and that's the way of the world now but the better you are able to follow really closely eventually you'll be anticipating and steve jobs said this years and years ago about this is the goal of apple to anticipate needs and the way that that happens is that you relinquish control first understand the world we're in right now and this is it. You're never going to have the world you had in the 1990s and, and the noughties. That has gone. The internet, we've already sold on to that. Information's already out there. There's no point shutting the gate because it's already bolted. This is the world that we're in. So we are followers, but your job is to follow really close. Mm. As soon as they make a step, you make making a step. Eventually, you're going to learn the dance. Mm. You're going to learn the buyers and the customers' dance because you've been following so close they're the leaders they're leading in the dance and once you've got there you're going to be able to anticipate the next step Mm. and then once you've got there you're going to be able to anticipate the next three steps and guide them through the next three steps and then once you've got there you're developing a relationship into a partnership so that you're both entwined, But the fact is you have to learn their language. It's like going to another country, as we English people often do, and they expect everyone to speak English. That doesn't <laughs> go. You're in someone else's country. Yeah. So you need to learn their language if you want to sell to them. And you need to start speaking their language. And eventually you'll know the language so well you'll be talking humor, you'll be, you'll know the nuances, you'll be leading in the joke, and they'll all get it. But it takes time for that to happen. And what you've got to do as a seller is invest in that time.
0: Mm, Wow, that is so powerful. Because one thing that you said that's so interesting is When you go to another country, you don't expect someone to speak your language, right? Like when I go to London, I don't expect for you guys to drive on the same side of the road that I do. I have to know that, hey, I'm in your world. I can't just barrel down the road and drive on the wrong side of the road, right? And so really removing yourself. And one of the things that I really think is so important is if you're thinking about the next step, your next question, what you should do next, you're not immersed in their world, right? If you yes. have any apprehensions about you, the seller, or the company, or the product, you're doing it wrong.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So you've written a couple books. Tell us about the business evolution. What is that all about?
1: So the business evolution published in 2014, and it was came out of the experience. I was actually I was went into entrepreneurship and had a restaurant on bar. I employed 20 staff. And what I learned. Was There was many others that went out of business. This was just after the economic crash and we were still growing. And the reason for that was applying some of these strategies. When I came out of the business, I realized what it was that created that kind of essential value. We were using social media before a lot of these companies, businesses have been in business 10 years. They were doing things that the way that they used to do. They've always done them. We were new incumbents. So we had adopted the new ways of engaging our customers. Plus I had come out of customer experience. So I realized that customers were primary. I stayed close. Remember I was talking about staying really close to the customers. So I created great relationships with a unique group of customers that had other groups that they were the key influences in. So all I had to do was tell my key group of people what was going on, and they would invite other people from their groups. I understood that's the way it worked, and it was very personable. I knew them by, you know, first name, I stayed in regular contact with them. So all of these things that I learned, and I, I came up with the uh, four essential P's, which was Personality. You've got to put your personality into your business, even if you're an employee. You've got to lead with your own unique personality. Purpose. You've got to understand why you're doing it. And I also talk about what you can do that no one else can do in the way you do it. Really important. And then pleasure is all about the customer experience. Mm. What's your pleasure, sir? How can I make life better for you? So it's all about the focus on your customers. Now, if you're an employee, it's the focus on your employees that create the customer experience for your customers. So it's about giving pleasure. How do I do that? Mm. And then process is the fourth essential P. I discovered in business because I created a business association and supported lots of other businesses to help them to grow through the difficulties, having the MBA background. So process is that we often create processes based on where we've been before. So will people will have worked for large companies, they understand a the process, they adopt that process for a small business. It doesn't work but also understanding processes that we design or what we understand. And when a customer comes to your website or in through your doors, it makes sense to you from your position, from your perspective, it's completely, nonsense to the customer from their perspective. They don't know where to go. You haven't given them clear directions. So your processes are blocking your customers from doing business with you. So it's really about understanding how you can create processes to give customer excellence, to give great experiences, to make it really easy and frictionless and easy for your customers.
0: Wow. And that was almost a whole 10 years ago. And it sounds like a lot of the principles that you used as a business owner of, you know, this bar and restaurant, you're still able to apply to your clients today. And so when you think about your very vast and diverse career, um, the time you were in the textiles industry, financial services, owning your own business, and now as a speaker and a consultant, give me an experience that you feel changed the trajectory of your career.
1: One experience. Just one. I know it's hard. <laughs> changed that my trajectory was the working for the customer experience because it was just the missing leg that's the thing that really changed it but every time I kind of revisit this every year you know you do your business plan you think am I doing the right thing am I in the right it just almost I'm ahead of my time as you say with the book that's still relevant now but also the the fact that if you want to reimagine your sales revenue you have to focus on customer experience. So I've been with this for the last 17 years, mm. talking about the relationship between customer experience and sales and talking about, you know, customer centricity. You've got to put your customers first. You've got to understand their language. All of these things is what people are beginning to work. Well, there's lots more stats out there that's proven what I, I've been talking about for a long time. So I think it's really those things, really.
0: Wow. So you're a complete early adopter because 17 years ago, you were thinking about this customer experience that everybody is jumping on the bandwagon with today, right? They're all like, yes, yes, yes. Customer focus, do this, do that. But you were a very early adopter of this. You've also recently been featured or, or written, co-authored another book. Tell
1: us about that. Heels to Deals, How Women Are Dominating B2B Sales. And um, This was from Heidi Solomon Orick, Um Has girls who sell and girls who sell is to encourage school leavers into sales and really help them to think about sales as a serious career option. And so she's thinking, how can I get the word out? And decided that she would pull together women sales professionals that have different stories to tell. It's an excellent book and really inspiring. It is for women that are thinking about going into sales, but I also think it's for women that are already in sales. It's very inspiring stories and helps you to see that you're not alone. Whatever experience you have had, it is in the book. Someone's had it before. There is a community of women. The thing is, I find on the Scale Yourselves podcast, I interview 50% women, 20% ethnic minorities, because it's important that their voice is heard. I find it difficult to find the equal amount of men and women. And I know you're shaking your head here. Women are not as visible. Well, one reason is there aren't as many women in cells because we've been actively discouraged and there's lots of barriers to women getting into cells. It's great what Heidi is doing and many other, I'm part of Women's Cells Pro and they, you know, uh, Laurie Richardson's doing incredible work. Jill Conrath kind of started all of this with the campaign of getting more women on sales stages so there's a lot of forerunners to all of this but it's we've really got to keep the pressure up the stats of 17% 17% women sales leaders is absolutely poor and hasn't changed for the last 10 years. The stats of 30% women in sales, that hasn't changed. Um, the fact that, you know, 50% of salespeople do not hit target means that there's something wrong in the system in the way that we're applying the system. It's broken. It doesn't work. And I could have a whole whole podcast on on that one as well. But women in sales are the highest achievers and performers. So you know, you've got on one side where women are great sellers and on the other side where there's all these barriers. So there's still a lot of work to be done.
0: Wow. I can hear your passion about women in sales, ethnic minorities in sales. And it's so true. There's a, a community that I'm a part of and they have Forums throughout the year. And so in January, the kickoff that they had, I was like, you don't have any ethnic minority speaking. And they were like, Oh my gosh, Wesleyan, we've been trying, but we can't find any. I'm like, you're not trying hard enough. So I literally combed through my LinkedIn. And it was so hard for me to find CROs, VPs of sales that were ethnic minorities, right? Or even women. And so it is a very big challenge that we're working through. And I always say that the problem is we don't have enough entry-level women in sales. And then when we get them in sales, we're not supporting them enough so that they want to stay and make this a career and move up their ladder. So there's so many multifaceted challenges that we have there.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We often have companies that will recruit more women, but nothing changes in the culture. The <laughs> Yes. How's that going to work?
0: Yes. <laughs> when they just, they just check the box on the, the diversity, right? They say, oh, okay. Yeah. We've hired more women. We've hired more ethnic minorities and okay. So we've done what we needed to do, but then they leave in nine months. No, you haven't done what you need to do. You have a revolving door.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So when you think about your very successful and amazing career, I'm going to pin you down for a one thing again. What is one thing you're most proud of accomplishing personally or professionally?
1: Gosh, it's so <laughs> hard. <laughs> I'm not normally. What's the personally and professionally? Um, I think I can probably have two. Can I yeah. personally, I'm proud that I have Lived in different parts of the world and travelled in different parts of the world from a young age. Um, that's created a very a different mindset. That I'm comfortable of being the only in a room. Mm. I see that as an opportunity. I'm working the room when I go in the room. But it's taken a lot to get to that stage. But I got to that stage when I was, I was young because we were the only black family in this village. Mm. It was hostile, I can tell you, in England. Um, the only black family in this village for 15 years. Wow. You know, going through the school system, they didn't pay us any favours. So, you know, I think when you've had a trial by fire, once you come out of that, then anything else is really easy. This is no big deal. But having travelled around the world, I mean, you could have a mindset of these difficulties, problems, everyone's against you. But actually having travelled around the world, I think that my mindset is the absolute opposite in that everyone is generally good not evil. And unless proven otherwise, really, I'm going to treat everyone with respect. And and I love people. I love traveling. I love exploring new things. So I think personally, I'm grateful for all of that traveling that I have done in, in my life that's helped keep my mind open. And I think professionally, I'm nowhere near where I want to be. I'm still striving for a lot more. I mean, I accept there are more challenges and barriers for me than, you know, others for obvious reasons. But I'm still campaigning to for parity and openness of other people. I think you've got to give what you expect to receive from people. And um, I love what I'm doing. I love when I go in and I'm the only in a room and I'm sitting around and I'm training and talking to, you know, which are, in, if we're talking about cells, we're going to be mainly white men. And, you know, one or two might be hostile to me also. But by the end of the session, you know, we're best friends, yeah. you know. And because if I can transfer some knowledge, some experience... And often it's down to certain words without, um, and that enables another salesperson to do really well, mm. enables another person to get on board with the language of their customers to really succeed in their work, means they succeed in their life, for their families. If I can help somebody do that, if I can help a business grow by an additional 50% by giving them knowledge of how to become customer-centric, or how to get your customers have a seat at your table, how to use their information to create and innovate products and services that the customers are going to buy not only now but into the future how i can future-proof organization if i can do that then oh my gosh my you know i'm happy you know to the end of the day because that's real legacy that's really making a difference not only to individuals but businesses but to their customers as well which is i love Mm,
0: wow that is awesome and I love how your personal experiences have really translated the way that you work, the way that you see the world, and even has translated into you professionally, right? Like you're like, hey, kind of had to develop a thick skin when I was younger. And because of that, that's what allows me to go be the only to show up in these rooms and really, really help those people who are like, eh, who, who are you? And they're, you're raving fans at the end. I love that when you walk in the room and they're like who is this another sales trainer i don't want to hear the same stuff blah 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 and then at the end it's like man you've really transformed the way that i'm thinking you've really challenged me
1: yeah and you know i don't classify myself as a sales trainer because i do talk about sales training doesn't work
0: oh yeah <laughs> like, like that's a whole <laughs> another thing so, i i say it all the time sales training doesn't work <laughs>
1: It doesn't work. Absolutely. But you know, like really getting sellers to think more like their buyers. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Well,
0: Janice, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. What is the one best way people can get in touch with you?
1: LinkedIn, Janice B. Gordon. Don't forget my B, Janice B. Gordon. If you put that in Google, LinkedIn, you're I'm on page one, two, three, you're going to find me.
0: Awesome, Janice B. Gordon. She shows up and has valuable content that you should definitely consume on LinkedIn. So thank you again, Janice. This has been an amazing conversation. I feel like I am all deep into this world of customer experience and being very solution focused. Thank you so much for your time, your talent, and your expertise today.
1: It's been a pleasure, Wesley. thank you so much for inviting me on your wonderful podcast and, and keep doing the great work.
0: Thank you so much. And that was another episode of the Transform Your Sales podcast. And remember, in all that you do, think about how science and sales work together to really transform your sales. Until next time.
1: Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.